Welcome to Great Comedic Minds by Kara Robertson, a podcast where we meet some of the greatest comedic creators of our time and find out their real stories. From your favorite TV shows, movies, and live stand-up, we interview the storytellers and joke writers who have entertained us for years to find out exactly how and why they do it. And now, here's your host, Kara Robertson. Tim Batt, a New Zealand-based comedian who has won the One Cover Comedy Competition, been a global finalist in the Laugh Factory's Funniest Person in the World, been nominated twice for a Billy T Award, he's created his own podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time, has his own podcast network, he's performed in London, USA, Australia and all across New Zealand. He's written and appeared on shows such as Seven Days, Jono and Ben and The Late Night Big Breakfast. Tim Bat has made a live streaming comedy art show called The Happening, written and hosted a live TV political chat show called Banter, produced Comedy Central's No Experience Necessary, and was executive producer on TV New Zealand's New Blood Project. He was also a showrunner producer of the podcast turned web series, The Male Gaze. That's a pretty big intro, Tim. Well done. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's very... uh... I mean, it's nice hearing the credits, but it's kind of sad in some ways hearing a bio that I've written <laughs> read yeah. back to me by someone else. That I've copied like, you sound desperate, man. You're yeah. sounding pretty desperate. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Um, a pleasure. So, where are you? Where are you at the moment? What city are you in? Uh, Seattle, Washington, United States. No, I'm kidding. I'm in <laughs> Auckland. I'm yeah. in. Uh, as you can see, I've actually, this is not the most professional, uh, you can only see this in my webcams, this is just for you, Cara, but I've literally got like an open closet behind me. It's got clothes just busting out. I'm just at home, home studio. Yeah, fair enough. So can, have you got, can I ask as well, have you got a telescope next to you? I do. Yeah, that's, um, tell, yeah, the map and the telescope. I try to make this room look like uh, we're on a ship. Awesome. Like in the I love like, that. Yeah, I don't know what no reason. It's got like it's compasses. Great. I love that. Yeah. Um, is Auckland where you grew up? I was born and raised in Christchurch. Um, and then we moved when I was eleven to Wellington. So I spent all my high school years there. And uh I lived in Sydney very briefly when I was about twenty and then moved back so i've prob- probably auckland is the tire as the the city i've spent the most time now i think i've been here for about i can't remember maybe 13 years now what was it like growing up there well g- growing up in christchurch was all yep. good it's very flat and it's uh it's quite white <laughs> less so than it was which is good but it's a bit of a like monocultural um or at least it used to be kind of a place um but yeah, I don't know. It was very, very kind of safe feeling, middle class ish upbringing. Um, Wellington was pretty cool. Wellington was a little bit sort of uh, freakier, more artistic. The high school I went to was quite a liberal, artsy kind of a college, which was was really good. Um, yeah, I went to a place called Onslow College. Okay. Um- what were you like there? Did you, did you, were you funny when you were at school? I was trying to be, man. Yeah. I was doing my best. I Was I funny in school? I uh, Yeah, I think so. Not, you know, there were, there were funnier people than me, to be sure, but I hopefully was a, a good hang, a good quality hang. 
I um I tried to leave high school after sixth form and there was a bunch of criteria. Oh, sorry, what is that called now? Year 12, I think we call it now. Oh, okay. Um, when you said year so, six, that's like an 11 year old. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Was, yeah, so you mean like at the end? Uh, when I was 17. Yeah, yeah okay. Or 16, even, I was like, I don't need this last one. I'm out. And I was going to yeah. go to university. So there was a bunch of criteria you had to hit. You had to have your grades at a certain level and to get a couple of um, letters of recommendation from different people in the school faculty so I got it all together and then my parents were like nah man you should totally do seventh form it's like an important year and I was like I do I'm I'm out I'm bored I don't want to be there but they sort of insisted that I do seventh form and then I was so bored during that year at high school that uh I ended up writing a play and putting that on which was quite fun about um Hercules and Zeus and Hera so in the play uh, Zeus sees the Lord of the Rings because this is when the movies were just you know coming out and really big and he falls in love with the New Zealand landscape so he decides to move his family off Mount Olympus and move to Wellington and they have a terrible time as new Greek immigrants and are treated like shit and uh, Hercules has to navigate high school and all that kind of stuff so you know I think um, a lot of creativity gets uh, made out of boredom <laughs> and maybe that was my first big introduction to that experience Sounds like a great idea. Like we should pitch that to some networks now. I think, is it you a comedy? Yeah. It is a comedy. I found the yeah. script the other day. It was, it was like in a shoebox where I've got some old memorabilia from high school. And I was having a thumb through it. I was like, this ain't bad. <laughs> you know, I wrote this when I was 16 or 17. There's, some, there's pretty funny stuff in here. It's not terrible. Yeah, you might uh, rehash some of the projects. Yeah, why not? Give yeah. it a dust off. I've yeah. already done the, the hard yakka. I can just kind of update it with some modern references. Luckily, Lord of the Rings is still big, thanks to Jeff Bezos, so it's still relevant. When did you decide that you wanted to start working in comedy? Oh, that's a good question, because I do have a very specific sort of story for this. I was When I was um, living in Sydney, um, which is, that's kind of a funny story unto itself, but I'm not sure if my friend who's the real reason I moved over there kind of wants me saying it. So I might leave that bit out, but basically we were, we were, uh, we were chasing a girl. He was chasing a girl and I went with him. Um, so it was very sweet. And we, we moved to Sydney and I was working at the call center at Telstra. That was off the back of me having worked in a few different call centers in New Zealand and Wellington, just it's, as soon as I left high school, I was working at the tax department, if you can believe that. And, um, I woke up one morning when I was, I must have been 20, I think. And I literally was like, I'm going to wake up one morning and be 40 years old and be working at this call center or another call center like it. And it just scared the shit out of me. And so that day I applied for the New Zealand radio training school um, and got accepted and did a six month course to learn how to do uh, broadcasting how to do radio and then um started working in radio for about five or six years okay so that would have um obviously if you're working in radio you can't do all the visual sort of gags so you really have to just use your voice i imagine yeah yeah and i was also i was producing a lot i sort of by the time i ended i was doing some co-hosting but i was producing on some pretty big 
shows. So when you start out in radio, if you if you're hosting, usually if you're like young and an unknown commodity, you, you're going to be um, hosting on some really small, you know, small town stations, that sort of thing. Um, or the alternative is you can try and get a job where you're sort of like a, a small fish in a big pond, being a um, off air and on air producer on a bigger show. Which is luckily, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people. Um, a lot of people try and get into radio and there's very few jobs. So I was super duper lucky at the start of, of my career there and uh, yeah, managed to work with some real heavyweights and learn a lot of good comedy off them. And that was around the time when I started doing stand up as well, just as like a hobby. Okay. So you you came over as a wingman, got a job that you thought was dull, but then yeah. you wanted to do something different. How did you actually get that first job? Because you just mentioned that it was quite difficult for people to get into radio. So how did you do that? Um, I I sort of, I went to the radio training school and there was an intake. When we started, I want to say there was about 25 people and it had a really high dropout rate. Like I think maybe 16, 18 of us made it across the finish line. And it was only a six month course, but I think radio is one of those things where it does attract like a very broad spectrum of people who who sort of get enamored with the idea of doing it. Um, and for my money, like it wasn't the hardest course in the world. So I sort of noticed that happening. I was like, okay, if I actually sort of pull finger here, I could, I could try and, you know, sort of stand out of the crowd a little bit. And there was basically three of us uh, in, in that group that became really good mates and we just worked really hard and tried to figure everything out and um i ended up getting the uh ducks of that class i was going to say not bragging but there's no getting around it that was just a brag so based on that it's just beyond that i mean you can only try as hard as you can and then it's just up to luck and timing so luckily there was a position that a radio station in auckland they were looking for a producer for this um legendary broadcaster called kevin black um and uh, who's since passed away but blackie i think might hold the record as the highest paid broadcaster in australia and new zealand in the 80s back when radio was big he was like the top dog and he was getting paid obscene amounts of money so i got to um produce for him and, and work with him in the sort of last radio job that he had in his career which was super special that sounds amazing um so you obviously you had multiple skills. That so sounds like that helped a lot. So you could talk and you could produce at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. The multiple skills thing I think is really important. And it's like, I think there's a lot to just going, what are you, do you, do you have any interest? Do you have anything that you enjoy doing? And for me, like, luckily I'm, I'm a fucking massive nerd. Like I'm a big geek. I just, I love tinkering with gear and playing with computers and learning how, you know, audio equipment works and that sort of thing. So um, I was quite at home, you know, figuring out all this new equipment and new software and things that run the radio stations. And a lot of that is is just attitude. Like you've just got to be ready, um, sort of in a, in a risk averse sort of a mood. You've just got to go in there and press all the buttons and see if it breaks. And if it doesn't, you're like, cool, what did I just do? You know, I think that's been my approach to like learning how technology works. Um, a lot of people are just quite scared that they're going to break the thing. But if you just start mucking around with some some low stakes equipment, you can kind of teach yourself how technology works and you just start building on that knowledge. 
And I think now more than ever, like you need multiple skills and tech might not be your thing, but if you enjoy writing, you should try and develop that. You know, you should um, see if you can pick up any low stakes work doing that, that will sharpen your tools there. Or so if there's any courses that you might want to do to, to pick that up, if you're good at, I've got no visual art skills whatsoever. I really wish I did, wish I could do like illustration or design. I can't, but if you're that way inclined, like, pursue that a little bit see if you can do little odd cheap jobs for friends and stuff like that because i think everyone needs lots of strings to their bow these days yeah i remember watching uh emma watkins she was in the wiggles and she could drum she could edit she could sing she could she's ballerina it's what no wonder they hired her um, you kind of need that to yeah. stay afloat often as well because in this like I hate to break it to anyone, but comedy really does not pay for 95% of people who are doing stand-up. It takes a long time and um, a lot of luck, really, to eventually start making it your career, your proper career. And you've got to have some other things going on to get you there to that point. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, going back to your stand-up, so why did you start doing stand-up? Good question. Um, I, I guess I always enjoyed performing like at, uh, on Zoe college that I mentioned before, it's a very like liberal arts style high school in Wellington. So the drama department was really strong and I always liked, um, you know, acting and performing. I wasn't the best actor in the world, but I did like doing it. Um, and it's just, it, you know, I think I can't remember the exact phrase, but George Carlin talks about this. Who's this legendary old comedian and poet and social commentator from the states from way back when he you know he, he talks about stand-up comedians being people who uh want to be cute <laughs> they just want to be like they want to stand on a stage and go hey look at me look at how cute i am and it's kind of true like it's in in some ways it's a little bit pathetic but i think all people would love to be showered with adoration in front of a room full of strangers you know there's something in that reptilian brain that that appeals and i've always been quite a sort of politically minded person as well so i like the, the sort of creative exercise of trying to turn some of those ideas into something that's remotely funny you know to try and trojan horse some some ideas into a crowd that's come to drink a few beers and have a chuckle you're passing on a message but doing it through comedy um, yeah so people are entertained as well as getting informed Totally. I think it's a really important art form for that reason. You know, you can introduce some pretty subversive ideas and you can really question stuff. That's the current, you know, way of thinking, the current orthodoxy um, inside of this wrapper where it looks like, and you sort of, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's a bit of light entertainment, come out, see a show, see a comedy show. But then depending on who you're dealing with and your skill level in that, you know, you can insert some pretty cool ideas into people's brains <laughs> when they turn up. So out of that, you've done podcasts, you've worked in radio, you've done stand-up and there's uh, work in TV here. What's been your favourite project? Oh, hmm. Um, good question. I mean, I guess I'd have to say my own podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time just because of the opportunities that that's afforded. Like myself and Guy Montgomery have been doing that for, I think this is our eighth year now. Um, we started in February, 2014. And like we've done shows and sold out rooms in the States and Los Angeles and New York. Um, 
we've had huge guests on like you know paul f tompkins we wrote it so the premise of our podcast is we just keep watching the same movie over and over again and keep reviewing it and we started off with grown-ups too this adam sandler movie and so we just watched that every week for a year and kept reviewing it and that that's all the podcast was and by the end of it it had sort of garnered this online following particularly in los angeles i think because there were all of these people who were involved in the film industry were sort of on the periphery of hollywood so they thought this idea was you know stupid but delightful (laughs) somewhat funny and we guy and i wrote this insane script of uh, grown-ups too based on our memory alone like we just had to try and piece it together and we did a version of that in Auckland with our comedian friends here. And then we did that um, that script in Los Angeles to this huge room. And we had like Melanie Linsky was reading one of the parts. Busy Phillips was there. Like all of these, it was just insane. I don't know. You look back at stuff like this, like how did that happen? But this is what I love about the creative arts and, and comedy is if you ju- you just keep like, putting stuff out there you just keep doing things and trying things and like most of it doesn't really work but at least you're having fun and and maybe the joke doesn't land or the format that you've landed on isn't quite right or people aren't into it or whatever but if you're just unstoppably putting ideas out all the time at some point it will click and you'll trip over something that's really good and then suddenly you get connected with all of these other incredible creative people and you're making this really fun thing and yeah, it's it's cool. It's good fun. Um, I have read that you are very, one thing you're very uh, good at and known for is that you can make these shows on very little to no budget. Have you got any, <laughs> any tips to tell uh, people how to do that? Um, learn your gear is what I would say. Uh, not drugs, although that's still good advice. You should learn what your gear is if you can. Um, but if you've, if you've got equipment that you're using, audio equipment, um, video equipment, and by that, I don't even mean you need to go out and buy super expensive stuff, but like you could be using cell phones these days, especially for, for video content. Like if you've got a, a half decent iPhone or Samsung or whatever, you can make that video look pretty incredible. Um, but you know, figure it out, go on YouTube, re- um, watch some tutorials, read advice. How do you get the best picture quality out of the thing how do you make stuff look good if you've if there's something that you want to emulate um yeah try and mock it up see how you can do your own version of that thing and and google it see like how do i make something look or sound like this thing and as long as you have like a kind of a constant curiosity and you enjoy learning new stuff like that i think that's a big key for getting (laughs) getting budgets down because um there is a real infatuation with buying very expensive technology microphones for podcasts amazing cameras for video all this stuff the reality is you can get an incredible result out of pretty cheap shitty gear if you know what you're doing so that's always been my sort of take on it so i've always just tried to to learn to learn how to get the best out of the stuff that i've got we're pretty lucky that uh it's all on the internet for free like i can't imagine doing this stuff in the 90s where people had to read books and try and research how to do it the it's unbelievable yeah it's crazy right and it's because i've been thinking about this a bit recently and it really sort of in some ways restores my faith in humanity you know we always we're just surrounded by um terrible news and everyone talks about terrible people and on twitter like it's all this, this asshole and da, 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 blah 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 it's all very like negative 
but you, they're kind of like you go on youtube and these sorts of things that i'm looking up it's just these people who are massive nerds about something some specific area that they've mastered and they cannot wait to tell you and often really for no gain to them they just they just want to get the word out and make sure that other people find out about this thing that they've figured out and it's it's really cool it's a very human need i think to or human desire to share this information and share the tools and it's it's cool right when you meet someone very passionate about it and they just yeah yeah, yeah full of energy and you know excited to help exactly um, what is your number one bit of advice to people trying to get into comedy whether creating writing just the number one thing you'd tell them um it's a really hard balance to be to be able to be self-critical without being self-destructive but if you can learn how to do that that is going to serve you incredibly well if you can try and protect your psyche a little bit but at the same time record every performance that you do and really like don't do it immediately after you've been on stage don't do it like the night of the show but if you can force yourself and it's a it's a really hard thing to do like it's very much easier said than done but if you can listen back to the performance that you did or if you video videoed it watch back with a critical eye does that line need to be there can i improve on that punchline? can i improve the word economy can i remove some stuff um am i looking down too much do i need to connect with the audience more am i pacing on the stage and connecting with other people as well like you know people are busy in that but often if you come into it with a a bit of humility and a genuine desire to get some feedback um a lot of comedians will be willing to to give you some tips if you've got like some recordings of your performances or maybe you've got some jokes written down and you reach out to people whose style you really like you know they might say no and they might be too busy and that's totally fine that's their prerogative but you might be surprised um at who's willing to to give you a hand if you genuinely are like look i don't want to take up too much of your time but if we could jump on a zoom for 30 minutes just to talk about the craft and what i want to do and i'm a big fan of yours and da 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 a lot of people will help you out like that um the other tip that i would have is if you can figure out how to put your own shows on that's really good <laughs> and again especially if you can put a lens on of put a show on, see what works, see how you can improve and try and keep that constant improvement thing. It's like, what was the crowd like this week? Did anyone come? Do I need to figure out how to market better? Is the poster any good? All of that sort of stuff. And you've got to start from somewhere. So you don't want to be so self-critical that you get trapped and you don't start anywhere, but just like make a start, start somewhere, take the first step. And then as long as you can keep trying to improve on that you know performance or show or whatever you're doing then you kind of naturally will be pretty unstoppable it's just a matter of time before you you become super successful you ever had a, a massive flop like anything that's gone oh, really yeah wrong? you kidding me of course more often than not yeah 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 totally yeah more stuff doesn't work than works <laughs> i would say um i mean i did a gig last night and it, it, it didn't go great um but it's like part of the beauty of it you know there, there is something very freeing about learning how to do stand-up comedy and bombing because it's most people's literally worst nightmare like public speaking outranks death 
in terms of most people's biggest fear. And so you're doing public speaking, trying to make strangers laugh, and then suddenly it doesn't work. Like for most people, that is the absolutely most terrifying thing that could happen. And when you start doing stand-up, that happens all the time. You're constantly bombing. So you put something out there, you try a new bit, you die on your ass. Maybe the whole set, you just eat shit. Who knows? Happens to me all the time. But you then have faced the thing that is most people's greatest fear. And you go to bed that night and the sun comes up the next day and you try again. You didn't lose an arm. You know, the thing that I always tell new comedians is, is like my wife, she's a doctor. If she has a bad day at work, someone could die. <laughs> if I have a bad day at work, 35 people I've never met don't particularly like me and then will probably forget about me after they leave the room. Who gives a shit? That's fine. It's all good. Fair enough. That is very good advice. I think the doctor point, pretty good. Um, <laughs> my um, husband's an airline pilot, so same. Oh, there you go. Yeah. He could really mess up yeah. someone's day, you know? <laughs> the potential was high. Fingers crossed he doesn't. Um, right. Yeah. Would, can we finish with a game? Would you be willing to play a, a game with me? Cara, I love a game. Oh, good. Um, this game is called What Truly Was the Worst Idea of All Time? <laughs> oh, a game you've custom built for me. Yeah, it's definitely, it's. we might market oh, nice. it in the shops cool. later. But, uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. It's very specific, though. So I'm going to put you in scenarios and you have to decide what sure. was the worst idea for that particular uh, role. So um, at the moment, you're an engineer who builds parachutes. Mm -hmm. So what was worse? And these are true things that happened. And you have to pick which one and we'll work out from what actually happened, what was the worst idea. So um, attempting to invent a parachute suit and then self-testing it is the first option. The second option is accidentally flying a fighter jet into a thunderstorm and then ejecting and using your parachute to try and get out of the thunderstorm. Which one do you think is worse? I think the latter. The latter? Because, yeah, look, they're both not great ideas. Um but I think if you, if I, I'm a, I, look, you've put me in the mindset of the parachute engineer. That word carries a lot of weight for me. So presumably I've got a pretty good understanding of um, aerodynamics, physics, what's going on with parachutes, how much I weigh. I would hope that I could kind of make it work more often than not, you know? Whereas ejecting, you say a fighter jet in the middle yeah. of a thunderstorm? We've got a man, big budget, that's, yeah. It's so much out of my control. I, I can't control lightning. I don't know what it does. I don't know really how it works. It seems terrifying. In a fighter jet, what am I doing in there? I'm a parachute engineer for crying out loud. I shouldn't be anywhere near a fighter jet. So I would say that that one is the worst idea. In, um, so I'll go through what happened. In 1878, Franz uh, Reichelt jumped to his death from the Eiffel Tower after trying to invent the parachute suit. Oh, God. <laughs> So that one didn't go that well. Um, in 1959, William Rankin was flying to South Carolina, inadvertently flew into a thunderstorm and ejected. He was then stuck in the thunderstorm for 40 minutes uh, with the Whoa. air currents. But he survived. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So He was then, just floating around out there for, yeah. for, for close to an hour. He must have been cold. Yeah, he I got imagine. burnt. Like the cold burnt him and everything. Wow. But when he landed, he finally, like he got went into a tree... He came down. He was on the side of the highway because he looked so messed up. No one would pick him up. So they just all left him there for a, for a while. Is, oh, my God. <laughs> this guy probably, you'd have to imagine, is part of the 
Air Force or something, right? Yes, yes. He's just testing fighter jets. This guy is uh, a hero. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was just... picking him up. My God. My guess, I don't know if you agree, is probably the first one went worse because he died. Well, that's true. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. And, yeah, with that context, you're right. Anything that results in death will probably outrank something that doesn't result <laughs> in death. Um, the second scenario, so now you work for NASA and you're deciding what uh, what people should take to space. So do you think it'd be worse for someone to bring a gorilla suit on board or a sandwich? You said these are like based on truth, right? They're based on the truth, yes. I've, I don't know why you would bring a gorilla suit. I know why you would bring a sandwich. So the gorilla suit surely is the worst idea. Okay, we'll go through them. Um, 2016, astronaut Scott Kelly secretly, well, he was sent a gorilla costume by his brother uh, aboard the ISS. It's the International Space Station. Uh, so he, it was all vacuum packed, so no one knew it was there. And then he put it on and um, scared the uh, other astronaut, Tim Peake. <laughs> and you can see it. They put it on Twitter. So you can try and find that one. And it's very funny to watch because they're floating so, um, oh my god yeah, is scott kelly that canadian that real loose canadian dude who just kept making like goofy videos while he was on the iss was it someone else well i don't know actually he might have been it was only so it wasn't that long ago it was like five years ago so four right. years. Uh, second scenario uh 1981 on gemini 3 the astronaut and pilot john young bought a corned beef sandwich and it nearly derailed the entire 30 million dollar mission <laughs> This is because the crumbs uh, started floating around. Crumbs. Oh, shit, of course. Yeah, and they spoof it on, um, I don't know if you've seen the Simpsons episode where he opens the chips. and. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, that one's yeah. about. And Homer's floating through the air rotating while he has to, like, devour all the chips, yeah. Yeah, so he did manage to put it away before too many crumbs went out, though, so the mission did continue. So, yeah, what, what, what do you think was the worst idea of those? Oh, look, in retrospect, the sandwich. Yeah. It's like nothing too bad came from the gorilla suit. No, well, maybe some psychological issues, but that's none of my business. So, (laughs) (laughs) true. Yeah. I'm going to try and look up that video. I want to see that gorilla suit in space. Yes. Yeah. Last one. Um, What what do you think is the worst pet or animal to be kept in captivity um, out of a hippopotamus or a tiger shark? The theme of this game seems to be whatever I pick, I'm wrong. <laughs> so I want to try and second guess whatever my initial instinct was. And therefore, I'm going to say hippopotamus. Okay, well, we'll go through it. So this one's only recent. This was two years ago. There was a South African farmer, Marius Els. Uh, he had a hippo he raised. Um, he called it his son. They were close. He used to ride it in the water and everything. Um, it did attack him. And- oh, got yeah. it. Tiger shark. In 1935, this is uh, in Coogee, so in New South Wales, just near Sydney, they captured a tiger shark and put it in an aquarium. Uh, after it was there, it began to show signs that it was sick, and then it vomited up a human arm. Whoa. Yeah. So this oh, led, my God. Yeah, it led to a murder investigation and a trial, and the arm belonged to a man who was working, because um, it had tattoos on it so they could identify it, who was working for the police as an informer. So, Holy uh, moly. so he was fed to a shark and then the tiger shark ate that shark. Hey, Cara, do you know what that means? What? 
that narc got eaten by a shark. <laughs> yeah, we, we should make that into a whole show, just based on that. Good, that was fast. That was very fast. Thank you. So, I, but you probably, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. The, well, um, I mean, on the one hand, both animals, well, it doesn't sound like the tiger shark killed anyone. It sounds like someone tried to dispose of a body. So based on that, I'm wrong again because the hippopotamus actually ended someone's life, whereas the tiger shark just ate someone's arm who was already dead. So they did less harm. The hippo, though, maybe has a lot of psychological effects because it was his his best friend. So maybe you were right in that it was much worse to be eaten by someone you love than a shark. The shark, probably they didn't know each other beforehand. Oh, that's true. The premises, which would be the worst pet. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Hippopotamus is on the money. Yeah. So I don't know if you're planning on purchasing either of those pets. But um... Did you know that um, Pablo Escobar had a bunch of hippos? Yeah, and I did. Yeah. When he got caught, they all got loose. And now there's like this semi out of control hippo population in Cuba. Yeah, Wait, was... Cuba? Not Cuba. Um, we were seeing South America, Colombia. Colombia. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's doing anything about that, um, whether they're just roaming free. Hippos are pretty cool, and I think endangered when you're not in Colombia. So maybe just let them let them be. Yeah, they'll have a good time. Maybe yeah. it's their country now. <laughs> I do have um an interesting New Zealand fact about animal deaths. Love to hear it. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear my New Zealand animal in the background, but apologies, my dog's going nuts at probably a courier knowing him. Right, we've got plovers here. Those are like birds with knives for hands. Have you seen those? A what? What are they called? Plovers. They they attack you, but they've got spurs on their wings, so it's kind of like they're carrying knives and they swoop down. So they make a horrible noise. I'm glad they're not doing it right Jeez. now. I've seen a lot of bin chickens, and I've seen a um. What are the real vicious? Are they caribous or what? No. What are they called? The ones with the like talons, talony claws that can really easily take out a human. Oh, the cassowary. Cassowary. That's what, yeah. yeah. You yeah. got some scary shit over there. We've we've just got kiwis, big, fat boys that can't even get off the ground. Yeah, although they can be scary if you uh, stir them up enough. Um, kiwis? Oh, you meant kiwi, the people. <laughs> well, no, not yeah, the bird, we're, pre- yeah. we're, we're also pretty chill most of the time. It takes yeah. a bit to get us rocked up. Yeah, you'd have to do quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so there was a woman, she was an aviatrix in 1936, and she was from New Zealand. And she flew the first uh, solo flight from England to New Zealand. But she was killed by being bitten by a dog. Was it, um, do you know what happened? Was it rabies or? No, she just didn't want to get it treated and it got infected. So Damn. Yeah. That, that does make sense to me because it would be just the kind of attitude of, you know, one of the first female aviators who's breaking world records and stuff to be like nah it's fine i don't need help from other people i'm a legend (laughs) and then and then promptly die yeah from a dog yeah that's uh the end of the show thank you very much for coming on board to really appreciate it and i appreciate all the insights that you've uh, provided thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today great to be with you cara thanks for having me on Thank you for joining us on a great episode of Great Comedic Minds. We'll be back next week, so be sure to tune in. Also, like, share, subscribe to the channel, and be sure to follow Kara Robertson on Instagram.